John Wick kills everyone. That's basically the plot of all the John Wick movies. In seminary, in my second year, where Charlie is in his seminary training, I wrote my final paper for theological anthropology about the first John Wick movie. The assignment for the final paper was to pick any movie and show how it pertains to theological anthropology and the topics that we had learned about. So in my paper, I pulled out the themes of creation, original sin, and grace from a movie in which the main character kills 95 people. When you hear the plot for the movie, you think to yourself, well, that's a stupid storyline, and you would be correct. I'm guessing that the target audience for this movie is probably males aged 18 to 42. And for that age demographic, this movie and plotline work perfectly. In the movie, John's wife, the love of his life, dies of cancer. But before she dies, she arranges for a puppy to be delivered to their house after her death. It's the last gift to her husband. A way of saying, when you want to love me but I'm not around, love this dog instead. Or something. They don't really explain it, so it's kind of hazy. But anyway, shortly into the movie, John's home is broken into, and the perpetrators beat up John, and they also kill his puppy. So, for the rest of the movie, John Wick kills everybody. He kills one person every minute and seven seconds. It's a great movie, unless, of course, you don't like people getting killed, or expect there to be any sort of logical plotline. As they say, though, reality is often stranger than fiction. So, today we hear about the great king of the Jews, Herod. Often, I don't think we know enough about Herod. He was king during the time when Jesus was born. In 40 BC, Herod was granted the title of king of the Jews by the Romans, despite the fact that there was already a king of the Jews. Right before he was named king, he was actually attacked by the actual king of the Jews, who was backed by Rome's enemies, the Parthians. So Herod appealed to Rome for help, and they gave it, because Herod promised that he would be a strong, ruthless Roman ruler. Now, it's ironic that in ancient writings and histories, Herod actually has quite a bit written about him uh, by historians of times close after him. So, we do know for a fact that Herod had ten wives and many children. He also had an affinity for murdering those family members of his whom displeased him or he suspected of treason. He put to death three of his own sons by his own hand and many more extended family members. At one point, when he sensed that he was dying as an old man, fearful that no one would mourn his passing, he ordered his sister to round up all of the Jewish leaders at the time, put them in a stadium in imprisonment, and then kill them so that all of the Jews would be sad at the same time that he died, for he did not want them to be happy when he was gone. So, when we hear of the account in Matthew chapter 2 of Herod ordering the killing of all the Judean children under the age of two, it totally fits his character. He, a king put in place by a powerful political force, hears that there is another 
claiming to be the king of the Jews, which is his title, and therefore he desires to squash this rebellious infant before he can challenge his authority. But since he is deceived by the Magi, who do not return to him to tell him their findings, he does what he imagines is the best plan ever. He just kills everyone. Well, everyone who was a male under the age of two in that town. Matthew's intent in the gospel is to show that Jesus is the new Moses, because this was one of the prophecies set forth by the prophets. We can see that he mentions the slaughter of the innocent by Herod, because the Egyptians also wanted to kill every male child born to the Israelites at one time. The Magi themselves, the three kings as we call them in the Christmas carol, they are guided by a star. Not that Matthew knew scientifically what a star was, but a star is just a giant ball of burning gas, right? So the star that was guiding the Magi to find Jesus was just like the pillar of fire which led the Israelites around the desert for 40 years so that they could find the promised land. The entirety of the second reading could be summed up in one word. Revelation. Paul is saying to the Ephesians that the mystery of salvation has been made known to them. It has finally been revealed. And this revelation is the reason for today's feast day. In fact, the word epiphany means revelation. The Lord is revealed to the Gentiles, meaning the Magi, and they represent the entire world. Christ is revealed for the first time by making a public appearance among non-believers for whom he would still be the source of salvation. Matthew's intent is to show the audience that Jesus is the new Moses, the Messiah. And another way that we can see that Jesus is who he says he is, is through the fulfillment of the prophecies we see laid out. I bring this up because on the first few days of his existence, Jesus is already fulfilling prophecies. Today, the first reading from the prophet Isaiah says that when the light of the Lord appears, people shall bring him gold and frankincense. So when the Magi bring him gold, frankincense, and myrrh, this is one prophecy fulfilled. It also says that the Messiah shall be born in Judea. This is another way that Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. Now, a professor at Westmont College in the last 50 years with the help of his 600-some students, tried one time to figure out the probability of Jesus being able to fulfill all of the prophecies about him. He had his findings verified by the American Scientific Affiliation when he was done. Now, he calculates that in the Old Testament, there are about 48 prophecies that Jesus needs to fulfill in order to be the Messiah. Some estimate this number to be as high as 351 prophecies, but conservatively, the professor narrowed his list down to just 48. Now, the probability for one man to fulfill only eight of these 48 prophecies is one in 10 to the 17th power. Now, 
This number, one to the ten, or one in ten to the seventeenth power, doesn't really make sense to me logically. So the professor continued in his findings. If you mark one of ten tickets and place all the tickets in a hat and thoroughly stir them around, and then you ask a blindfolded man or woman to draw one out, his chance of getting the right ticket that you have marked is one in ten. Simple. Now suppose we take 10 to the 17th power, the number of silver dollars, and lay them across the face of the entirety of the state of Texas. They will cover all of the state two feet deep in silver dollars. Now, mark one of these silver dollars. Stir the whole pile of silver dollars, again, covering two feet thick in the state of Texas, and ask a blindfolded man on his first try to pick the silver dollar that has a special mark on it. This is how small of a chance that Jesus had to fulfill just eight of 48 prophecies from the Old Testament. And yet, days after his birth, Jesus has already fulfilled two of the 48 prophecies. And through the rest of his life, he fulfills all of them. The probability of one man fulfilling all 48 prophecies from the Old Testament is 1 in 10 to the 157th power. And yet, the Magi bring him gifts that fulfill a prophecy. And in their gifts, there is also a prophecy. Fulton Sheen, in his book, The Life of Christ, tells us that they brought gold because gold is what you give to a king. They brought frankincense, because this is what you offer to a deity. These fulfilled two prophecies. They also brought myrrh. Myrrh is what you would anoint bodies with after death. This gift is showing that he was born only to die for salvation. The gifts tell us what is to come in the life of Jesus. We have celebrated the beginning of the new year. What this year holds, nobody knows. And I think after last year, many people are hesitant even to speculate about anything that could happen in 2021. No matter what happens, we know that we can confidently follow God, for he has already sent his Son into the world to conquer sin and death. Therefore, it does not matter what happens to us, for God has already won the victory. Instead of being scared of this new year and all it may hold, like the Magi, may we present God with our own gifts, the gifts of our prayers, works, joys, and sufferings, that he may take them and use them to transform us into people who are willing to share with others the great revelation of the incarnation of God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ.